Hey, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 explains briefly to us the benefit and power of the supporting role. And we began to talk about that last week. Um, some of you, we talked about it in relationship to the metaphor of a football team and how a football team shows us how there are lead actors and supporting actors, right? And uh, didn't you notice that some of the supporting actors made a big difference in that game last Sunday? Some of them did. Made a huge difference, both positive or negative. Praise the Lord, and I hope you caught that after that message because it surely caught our attention, at least it caught my attention. But there's a power in the supporting role, and this is what Ecclesiastes says. The wisest man who ever lived, and it doesn't take much wisdom to understand that this is true, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can get up and help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. That's so funny because Jody and I were talking. I'm pretty good size. I almost fell down the stairs, right? I did this week. I threw my coffee all over everywhere, both walls. It was hilarious. And I just said, praise the Lord, because this could have been much, much worse. And I would have had more to clean up. But I said, and she always, go, she always tells me, Kelly, don't you get down there and don't you fall where you can't get up because I cannot get you up. I go, well, call your sons or call somebody. I go, but I think I could help you get me up if I had to. But she's convinced she'd never get me off the ground, and she probably wouldn't. So two are better than one because they have a, a great return on their labor. And if one falls down, the other can help them up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken, is it? It's not. So many benefits in having other support. So many, so much power in having the support of others. And this, this passage, in this passage, it's apparent that our author, as well as us in life, whether we follow Jesus or not, we're going to face certain obstacles, aren't we? We're going to face challenges, changes, we're going to face enemies. And these enemies are going to seek to trip us up, to snipe at us, um, to, trip, to trap us, to stop us, even to destroy us. They're going to try to destroy our future success even, our fruitfulness, our growth as disciples, as families, and as the church. We all face those kinds of obstacles, don't we? Uh, they, they might come in the form of physical uh, people who, who are enemies, but there is always the spiritual side, affecting how we think, affecting how we live, affecting our routines, affecting our habits, um, undermining, causing us to make one decision here or there that causes us to go back five or ten steps when God was trying to take us forward. You know what it's like, right? Yeah. There, it's out there. And those spiritual enemies and attacks are every bit as important as the physical ones. Because there's always something behind the physical ones that come your way. So if you and I, if we want to be a success as a follower of God, 
If we want to be a success in the challenges and the enemies that we face, we need to know how to do it. And our scripture that we read last week gives us some insight on how to do it. And so if you've got a Bible, I want you to open it to Exodus chapter 17. And we're going to read just verses 8 through 16. Remember the children of Israel were young. Man, they had just come across the Red Sea because Moses had held up the rod and God opened it. They walked through on dry ground. But they have, they're not a warrior group. They've been slaves for generations and generations. And now they're going to face their first battle. God's always fought all their battles. But here they're going to face their first one. And they're not ready for it. They're not ready for this challenge or this enemy. But they're going to be successful. And this passage is going to tell us why. Let's read it together. Verse 8. The Amalekites came and they attacked the Israelites at Rephraim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. Moses and Aaron went, Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Remember that we said that standing with outstretched arm, uh, that was the normal position of a Hebrew in prayer and in worship. And that's what he was doing. He was holding up God, the staff of God, in prayer and in worship. See, he's trying to tell us something about battles. Let's go on. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So, the end result, Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Joshua was going to be the next leader of this nation, and he needed to hear and remember this too. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar, and he called it, the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nisi. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Amen. May God add his blessing to his word. Israel's victory over Amalek, this despicable enemy, it was really due to three essential ingredients, wasn't it, in this passage. And we want to take a look at what those ingredients are. They're ingredients that we need to be aware of as we face our challenges and our enemies, as we seek to live God's vision into the future. So here's the first. Our passage begins with the Israelites following the Lord. They're minding their own business. Man, it must have been cool to go across the, the Red Sea on dry ground and both, you know, these big walls of water on either side. It must have been great to have God save them from the encroaching Egyptian army that was coming. I mean, a well-seasoned and skilled army that was coming. But God took care of them and he fought for them. Man, that must have been a cool thing to experience. God fighting on their behalf, bringing them miraculously through this Red Sea, 
causing that sea to come back over and destroy this mighty army that was coming to take them out. Such a great deliverance. But a great deliverance like that, word travels. When God does something miraculous like that, something big in a person's life, word travels. Think about it. When you were saved and you really surrendered your heart to Jesus, you found yourself really quickly facing attacks, didn't you? Word travels. People want to find out if you're for real or not. They want to find out if this change in you is real or not. And they're going to test it. I don't know if you were tested, but I know I was tested to find out if I were, was for real. But here you have this group of Israelites who have been slaves. They've been slaves for generations. They're not trained. They're not equipped. They're not ready to fight. <laughs> and they're up against a well-seasoned army. God had done all their fighting for them. And they were yet to join him in the fight. I want you to hold on to that and think about that. One Bible commentator made this observation. He said this, because every warfare, all warfare, whether it's physical or spiritual, is spiritual. And there are spiritual sides to it. Right? And he says spiritual warfare is a reality for every believer. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Amen. The forces of evil wage war against God's kingdom agenda. They always have and they always will. There is no victory apart from engaging in this battle. You can't sit on the sidelines and just expect God to bail you out. Yet you can also not fight in your own strength. So see, there's a difference that you're not, you, you can't expect him to bail you out, but you can't fight on your own strength. You have to see the Lord as the commander-in-chief who leads his people to victory as they seek his help and they depend upon him. Spiritual leaders play a critical role in both these things, in engaging the Lord who gives us the victory and, and who subdues the enemy. God is sovereign, but we must exercise our responsibility to fight by faith. Wow, he does a good job in kind of showing how the battle is formed and shaped. See, the Apostle Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 12, and we have it up on the screen here, and you can read with me. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul was a very strong and dominant personality. But look what he says here. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. We have an adversary it's the devil. He's seeking to kill, steal, and destroy in our lives. And he's seeking to wave strategies that keep us out of the kingdom of God and out of the cycle of blessing. He's constantly doing that, keeping us out of the power of God. And he knows how to keep working us to do that. And that's his goal. For our struggle, Paul says, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, because see, those people are the ones that are really in authority. Against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's where our battle is. So spiritual warfare has to be weekly for you and me, if not daily. And really, it is a daily reality for a believer. 
do we realize that? We're, we're confronted by three main enemies all the time. The world system is not our friend. We think it might be more in the United States, but it's not, and it's an enemy. Our flesh or our sin nature, our selfish sin nature is an enemy within us, and we've got to battle it. We're not to do just what we want to do or what we feel we ought to do or what feels good. No, we're not to do that, right? And yet we, we do what, we, what feels good to us all the time. We have to learn to not do that because it's an enemy dragging us back in to the flesh. And then you have the devil or demonic forces. And in the United States, we don't oftentimes give much credibility to things like that because we're people of reason and of science. But indeed, those forces are there. God has told us so. The Lord Jesus has told us so. The reality is, it's there. And so the goal of these enemies is to stop our progress. The goal of these enemies are to defeat us, to destroy our faith, and our life if possible. That's their goal. So, so how are we to fight and overcome these deceptive, powerful enemies then? The world, the flesh, and they're wielded by the power and influence of the evil one who is a seasoned and wise warrior. So how are we to confront that? We're no match on our own. Do you see that? We're a sitting duck on our own. The Bible says, and Paul says in another place, that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, you might think you're pretty cagey and you've got a lot going on, but how well are you going to do against a, a lion? Whether it's male or female, either one, no matter. You're going to be toast. You have no power on your own. And, and Paul's trying to make that point. We have no power. We are no match on our own. But what if, go to the next slide. Oh man, go on with these slides. What if this was you? Yeah. What if you were Iron Man or Iron Woman? Would you have to worry about a devil prowling around like a roaring lion? Yeah, but you would have the armor, and the power to defeat him. But is that power yours? No, it wasn't Tony Stark's either. He's wielding a power he created. But what if God were to give you armor? And God had power for you, which he does for you and me. In that power, if we were in God's armor and in God's power, we would have mighty power. And that power... And that weaponry would cause us to win. As long as we were in his presence, as long as we submitted to him, and we submitted to use this armor in the way it was designed to be used, we, we'd be able to fight. We would not get, be defeated. We could overcome now. See, even this inexperienced, untrained Israelites in this little story that we saw, they were successful and they were mighty in battle. Why? Not because they had the ability, not because they were trained, not because they were all that. They submitted to the word and will and way of God in battle against these seasoned Amalekites. They submitted to God's way and his will and his word. They took, they took on his mighty power. They did it his way. 
They did it his way. And, and, and because they did it his way, they used the power of God that was available to them instead of relying on their own strength, on their own cunning, on their own weapons, on their own strategy. And they had power. Every time the staff of God was risen, they overcame. When it began to be lowered, they waned. And they were defeated. It's God himself. Do you know and do you recognize that the Lord has power for you? Power available for you? Power for me to fight our battles and we have to avail ourselves of that power and not trust in ourselves? That's really the first point here. If we're going to overcome any challenge, we have to trust in his power, the power that's available to us. It's the Lord that's going to do it, not us. Are you depending on his power? Well, here's the second thing in this passage. Everyone in this nation, you see, had a job and a role to carry out. They had a job and a role to carry out in partnership with one another in relation to the success of individuals as well as the whole group together. So do each of us. We all have a role and a job to play. That's what this passage is trying to tell us, that if we're in Christ, if God has knitted you to a body, which is a church, you're a part of that body, you're connected, you have a role and a job to do. I do too. We all do. Moses was the primary leader. His role was to lead, cast vision. His role was to pray and keep his hands up. Right? But he wasn't alone. But they needed him. God chose to use him. You couldn't have put Joshua there, not yet. You couldn't have put Aaron there. You couldn't have put her there. You couldn't have put Billy Bob or anybody else there. You had to put, I know Billy Bob's not in the scriptures, but you know, you had to put the right person there that God chose. And Moses was that man. Whether it's man or woman, he was the person that God chose. And he played his role. Then you have Joshua. And Joshua has to be able to submit to the leadership of Moses and go out and get a group of folks and begin to strategize to war against the Amalekites. Wow! That's like going to the Y to get your basketball players from the Y League to go play, you know, M-A-Y-B or, you know, somewhere. Or, you know, it, you're just going to have a hard time because it, it would be like Northwest High School playing Sunrise Academy's academy team. I still remember when we played them. I walked into the gym, and I'm looking, I'm seeing our team warm up, and I see this other team, and the shortest person was 6'9 on the other team. And I'm like, I went to my son Brad, I remember going, I go, so, cool, now who are you going to play? And why, why is this college team on the court over here? And Brad goes, oh, we are going to play that team. And I remember thinking, okay, Lord bless you. <laughs> yeah. Buddy Hill, who plays professionally now, he was one of the guards out there. He's a good guy. He, he loved the Lord, huh? He knew the Lord, but he was a good guy. But, you know, we just had no chance, right? And that's what Joshua had to do. But Joshua said, yes, I'm going to do it. He played his role. Then you have the staff of God. It's the symbol of God's presence. But it's also a symbol of Joshua's leadership. It's so funny. God, God would call the staff the staff of Moses. Moses would call the staff the staff of God. They honored one another with that. They had a partnership. And they honored one another that way. 
because it was important. But it was also important to note that if you didn't keep that staff up, it waned, the power for, for victory waned. If it, as it went down, so did their ability to be successful. It had to stay up. And so they had to discover a way to keep it up. And how did they keep it up? They kept it up through Aaron and her, who had a role. They were to lift up his arms. They were to put a rock underneath him. They were to stay with him by his side constantly, holding up his arms so that the people of God would be victorious. But then you have the Israelites. And the Israelites had to submit to take up arms. They had to rally together. They had to get behind their leaders. Even though they had little training, even though they had never been in battle, they had to be willing to step up. And God would equip the available. And that's what we say many times. If you'll just say yes to Jesus, he'll take care of the rest. But you're not going to probably get a lot of pre-yes training. That just doesn't tend to happen that way. Because what's most important is that we surrender. It is the power of God that wants to work through us. It's not us. We're partners with the Lord. He's created and fashioned us for that role. But he gives the victory because the battle is the Lord's. He gives the victory in ministry, too, because the ministry is the Lord's. Amen? So in the past, God had fought for them. Now the time has come for them to fight beside God. And they had to. Had they chosen just to want to stand back, it wouldn't have worked. Had they chose to want to go ahead, it wouldn't have worked. They had to fight with him. I want you to hear what a man named Duncan wrote. I just said that because I can't pronounce his first name. He says this, now in this passage, if you look at verse 9, you'll notice that unlike the Red Sea, God instructs the people to play an active role in their own defense. At the Red Sea, the people of God were standing still. They were to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But here at Rephraim, the people are to have an appointed army to respond to the Amalekites. And they themselves had to be faithful in defending Israel against the attackers. And you begin to see something emerge, and it's something that's in the Pentateuch, as well as in the New Testament, there is this balance between an active faith and a passive faith. I want you to catch that, and I want you to think about that in your own walk with the Lord. Because everybody, every believer, has to kind of function in this area of active faith and passive faith. There is this passive element of depending upon the Lord, trusting Him, resting in the Lord, watching the Lord work, depending on His power. Sometimes God calls us to that. But there's also an active element of our faith where we are responsible to do things that God has called us to do. When he's told us, do this, do that. I'm here to tell you, you won't go forward in your faith. You won't go forward in your victory until you do what he's told you to do. I one time said, no, I won't do it. And it took three, four years before I came back to that and said yes, when I asked God, why is it so dark and why don't I know the way to go from here now forward? 
And the Lord said, well, it's because of what you said. And I said, what do you mean because of what I said? And then I saw the Lord showed me the picture of when I had sat in a church split arbitration meeting and said, I'll never pastor people like that. Lord said, you told me no. I called you to lead and shepherd people like them. In fact, now I think you realize you're people just like them. And I said, you're right, Lord, I am. And I'm sorry, I repent. And I asked God to forgive me. And then all of a sudden, everything opened up. Isn't it weird how it works that way? Yeah, it is how it works. And so we've got to listen. There's this active, and then there's this passive side. And we've got to do what we're responsible to do. Both of these elements are a part of healthy Christian growth in a Christian life. You've got to go when God says go. You've got to wait and listen and trust when he says wait and listen and trust. If we have a totally passive approach to our Christian life, we, we just are going to say, well, just let go and let God, right? And we'll take it too far because sometimes you're supposed to let go and let God, but, but sometimes you're not. You know, you'll sort of sit there in the pew and really do nothing, waiting for God to move you off dead center. Well, sometimes you've got to wait and let God move. But if you're, if you're totally in the active side, though, right, then you'll get out and you won't really trust God to do it. And you'll get out ahead of him. And you'll try to figure out his will your way. God doesn't want you to do that either. He wants us to wait when he wants us to wait and listen, and he wants us to go when he tells us to go and act. There's got to be a balance. You see a balance here. You see the children of Israel, they're called to play an active role now in their own defense. They're called to partner with God. And if they don't partner, success is not going to happen. We're in the age of the church. We've got a partner, right? We need Full participation of everyone on the battlefield. We need full participation of everyone in ministry at the church at all times. We need that. That's that next point, and that's what it's showing us. As I said last Sunday, as a football team, uh, you know, as they, as they move forward, they have all these moving parts, and they've got to each do their job, and they've got to lead, or they've got to support whichever their job is, if that team's going to be successful, they've got to submit to each other. So the church is also a team endeavor. Sometimes we, we have leaders and sometimes we lead. Other times we support and we have a supporting role. And there are those within the church, but we have to play our role. We've got to do our job. If we want the battle to be won, if we want the ministry to go forward, if we want the kingdom to expand, we have to do it. And we've got to embrace it. And we got to love it. I have to admit, I try to, I try to run from it sometimes. I have in the past. So I'm here to tell you, I understand. I don't want the burden of, of responsibility. I'm a firstborn. My whole life has been about responsibility. And so sometimes I want to reject the responsibility. I want to say, ah, you know, we shouldn't have all these ambitious leaders that want to use everybody and hurt everybody and really kind of lead everybody down this road that's only for them. But then me, as one who's not that way, well, but I don't want to take leadership. So, you know, I've played that role before. So people like me are reluctant to go and take leadership. So that's why you don't ever have people in leadership who aren't 
ridiculously ambitious. Because the ambitious are always thriving and out there wanting to find, find control and wanting to have power and wanting to prove that there's somebody where re the reluctant leaders are back there going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going fishing or no, whoa. So see, we've got to, we've got to be honest about that. That's why we need the Lord. That's why we've got to come to him and say, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And then do it. And saying yes to Jesus is worth it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if you're afraid to take any ministry position that you believe God's called you to, if you are telling people no who are asking you to serve in a certain area, but you, you don't have any reason to say no, you, you know the Lord hasn't said no, you're just saying no because you don't want it, think again and pray again. Think again and pray again. Do as he's asked you to do, because we need supporting roles and we need leading roles. And that's the only way we go forward, is we say yes. Here's the last thing, though, because I can go on with this one a little longer, but I'm not going to. If you'll notice something, I want you to notice something from our Ephesians chapter, and those of you who know that chapter know that it goes on to describe the armor and weaponry of God that's at our disposal. And so we've got it up on the board here, and you can turn to it in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. But I want you to see what the weaponry and armor is to our disposal, and then I want you to see if you notice that if something's missing, because there is something missing. The scripture says this, starting in verse 13, therefore, Paul says, put on the full armor of God. It's not even your armor. It's the armor he's fashioned. It's his armor, and it's his armor he's fashioned for you. So that when the day of evil comes, and it does come, you may be able to stand your ground. Isn't that half of the battle? So many fights that I've been in, this is, this is how they are. That's as far as it went, right? If the two parties will stand their ground, because you, you try all sorts of ways to figure out if you're going to get them to run or back down, but if you're both going to stand your ground, most fights will end that way. Because you're looking and going, well, is it worth it? <laughs> Could I take him? Could I take her? <laughs> you know, do I want to get into this? Do they have weapons? Yeah, do I have a, I used to always, this was my, my big question was this, is how high is my emergency room deductible? <laughs> that used to be the decision maker of whether I got into certain things or if I tried certain risks. You know, can I, can I afford this, right? Um, that was later in life. Early in life, it wasn't. You never thought about it, right? So we, we stand our ground. That's so important in a battle. You, you have this, this armor so that you may be able to stand your ground. You can't stand your ground without the armor, guys. And after you have done everything to stand, Meaning, you're going to have to do everything if you really want to stand. Because this battle is going to be intense, urgent. We might even say sometimes almost borderlines on violent. Right? It says, stand firm then, if you've done it all, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Do some heavy lifting, you need support in the core. Right? With the breastplate of righteousness in place, 
that, that breastplate that can guard your heart and that righteous living and righteous doing that guards your life. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the gospel of wholeness, the gospel of healing, right? And, and ready to move with that. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. The, the shield of faith is not only these other things are more defensive in some ways, the shield of faith is defensive and offensive. You can fight with a shield, amen? And, and, but you also can block all the fiery missiles, it says here, with the shield of faith, where, where are we at here, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The Bible is telling you the evil one's going to shoot arrows at you. I don't know about you, but I don't, how many times does it take you to get hit upside the head before you uh, pay attention? It, how many? It does take more than once, doesn't it? But you would hope that after you get hit a few times, you start waking up. Instead of just going, poom, poom, I'm getting hit by these fiery arrows and I'm just letting them sink in. Right? Take the helmet of salvation. Your mind is your important survival tool and fighting tool. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That is a truly offensive weapon. God's word spoken to you. His logos written as well as his rhema spoken to you and to me. And pray in the spirit on all occasions under the leadership and guidance of the spirit with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that, whatever I that whenever I speak God's word, his word may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The battle was so intense that even the apostle Paul might balk in proclaiming the word of God fearlessly. Isn't that nice to know? Some of us sometimes are afraid to share our faith, to share what God is doing, whether it be in the workplace or at school or in our home. The Apostle Paul felt the same thing, and he knew that he needed God's power and strength to speak as he should. I and other believers really do believe that there are two reasons if, that something is missing. Did you notice what was missing? Who said that? What, what did I hear? Nothing covering your back. Nothing. So here's the two reasons. Are you ready? We're not to retreat or run. Bethany was right from our enemies or their attacks. What happens when you run from an enemy? You get bitten, you know what, right? We are not to run. God does not intend us. He intends for us to stand our ground or to attack in forward motion. Because as John the Apostle declared this in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. Greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. And what did Paul pray for us in Ephesians? That we may know the same power, that great power that raised even Jesus from the dead, that that power would be made known within us. That's power. That's power. So we are not to retreat or to run. That's the first reason. What's the second reason? That there's no rear armor to cover our back. Who got it? Who said? 
Excuse me? Well, he is, but, but this is how he is. You ready? I like that. We are to cover one another's backs. Just as Moses did in intercessory prayer. We are to pray for one another. That's why this scripture in Ephesians goes on and says, pray in the spirit on all occasions and pray for me and pray for each other. Because as we intercede for one another, as Moses interceded, the battle was won. When the intercession was dropping, the battle was being lost. <coughs> intercession is so important. And Aaron and her were partnering with Moses in that intercession. Everybody was playing their roles. But we have to depend on God in intercessory prayer on behalf of one another. We have to. That's what it takes to win the spiritual battle. Is to depend on intercessory prayer on behalf of others. And we have to, our ministry has to depend upon that. And the lost have to be won that way. Intercessory prayer for you and me has to become a lifestyle. It has to be common that we have each other's back that way each day. If you were sending, let me ask you this, if you were sending your kids out into, well, listen, hey, grab your lunch, get your books ready and stuff, and head on out. But by the way, there's a roaring lion out there, big, and, it, and it's going to devour anybody who it can. But don't worry about it. You'll be okay. Go ahead, get out there. You wouldn't do that so nonchalantly, would you? You'd be praying over them. Realizing today the devil has a plan that he wants to hatch against J. Michael. Did you realize that, J. Michael? That the devil knows you. Or his demonic influence, his demonic cohort knows you. And we want to make sure he does know us. If we're prayers, he knows who you are. If you're in Jesus, he knows who you are. His or his crew knows who you are. And we want to make sure he knows who we are. But if we truly knew that he was out there hatching some little scheme to take down our brothers and sisters, we would be praying for them, wouldn't we? We would be declaring the prayers that Paul declared, and I love his prayers in the book of Ephesians. Go back and read them. He declared those things over the Ephesian believers. We would be declaring those prayers. I know Jody has prayed those prayers over us and our family. I've prayed those prayers over others. I'm sure many of us have. But go back and take a look at those prayers because that's how we have each other's back is through intercessory prayer. We need each other. We're dependent upon each other. The battle is won that way. So as we conclude this morning, kind of the main point that we got to last week and we're looking at is we... We shouldn't discount, and we really can't overestimate the value of a supporting role. We all matter. Sometimes there are certain movies you love because of the supporting actors, much more than the, the lead actors. Supporting roles matter to the success of anything. We're dependent upon the support of others. We're, Many committed, faithful, loyal people have committed themselves to serve us and to pray for us. I, you hear me say all the time, I came to Christ and I'm part of the church because one woman interceded for me every day until I was saved. Every day. And the Lord moved in my life independently from any other witness. 
It was just God was moving. He had a plan. It was time to save me. And I'm thankful he did. So there's tremendous value in the supporting role, tremendous value in the lead role. But I want to leave you just with these questions as we close. What are your jobs? What are your roles in the church and in the kingdom? What are they? If you don't know them, get together with others and try to find it right away because you have a job or jobs and you have a role or roles to play. What are they? Whose arms are you holding up? And that's what it's about. It's about holding other people up. It's about lifting other people up. That's what the church is about. It's not about me. It's not about me getting what I want. It's about me lifting others up. And as we lift others up, we all get what we need and want. You see? So whose arms am I holding up? Whose arms are holding my arms up? Whose arms am I allowing? Who, who, what other people am I allowing close enough to me am I depending upon to keep my arms up? Who are they? How are you depending on the power of God available to you? That's where the battle is won. Not in you, in him. How are you depending on it? How are you to have others' backs? How are you to have the lost backs? Our ministry this week. How are you to have the back of it in intercessory prayer? What is God calling you to do there? And then finally, where is the evil one? Where is the world? Where is our flesh? Stealing our success. Stealing our victory. Where is it? Where is it, is it stealing it? Because we're not standing. We're not standing in the power available to us because we're not putting on the full armor of God. Because we're not faithfully participating on the battlefield. And because we're not depending on God and his wisdom and his lead in intercessory prayer each day. Because we've, we've bailed on those things. This simple passage can bring us back. This is how victory is won. This is how we go forward. It's how they went forward time and time again. And when they neglected it, they went backward. And we all know that if you keep going on in the book of Exodus, you'll find out they went backward. But God intends for us to go forward. I want you to stand with me and let's close in prayer. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, um, we sense that there are just so many challenges in our lives, in my life, and in, in, in all of our lives. And even this morning, God, to be able to hear the word that you are preaching to each of us. Father, speak loudly your word to our hearts as we listen to you. Show us, God, what our roles are and what our jobs are. Show us, Jesus, even if we said no to you somewhere, and that's kept us from being able to see or go any further. God, show us that we might be able to repent this morning and be able to embrace your will and say yes to you. God, show us how we are to lift one another up. Show us whom we're to allow uh, and we're to depend on to lift us up and lift our, our arms up as we try to win the victory in our lives or in saying yes to you in ministry and service. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Lord, expose the schemes of the evil one who tries just to kill, steal, or destroy, or even just simply stop so that we don't progress, so that we stay in discouragement, so that we stay in bitterness because of 
bad things or hurts that have happened in the past. God, thank you that we can come and we can forgive. We can come and find healing. We can come and own our responsibility in any conflict and find freedom. Help us to find that today. And help us, Lord, as we discover where he's trying to pull us down and marginalize us, that we could pray for each other in that, and we could ask others to pray for us, that we might win this battle and depend upon you, God, in intercessory prayer and through the prayers of others. Lord, we thank you that you're going to take us forward this year and this day and this week to a new day. Lord, continue to bring revival and change into our hearts and into our lives, Lord. Come, God, and make us fruitful. Make us shining lights. Make us a city on a hill that others can see you in us, Lord Jesus, and find life and forgiveness, God, and purpose. Father, move mightily within us. We ask this in Jesus' name. And we just thank you for this word today. We pray that we, you'd take us to a victory this week. Take us to a victory that we can build upon for a new and greater victory to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and we all said together, amen. 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 Lord bless you.